All right, go to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're on week 13 of our study of Anoint Thine Eyes. It's a class on vision. And really, when I think about all these character traits we're adding to our faith, it's really a, a study on maturity, on growing in your faith, which is something that Paul, uh, Peter even ends the letter of 2 Peter saying that, you know, we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to look at a new character trait. Last week, we covered godliness. Wow, these are all starting to run together. And he says, and to godliness, we are to add brotherly kindness. Look with me in your introduction on your outline here. Through the Spirit of God, we can proactively, that means you're being active and adding to your faith, initiating, not waiting for it to happen. Proactively add to our faith virtue, knowledge, and temperance. When we show ourselves consistent and dedicated to following the Lord, He brings about trials in our life that are outside of our control. This is done so that we can reactively add to our faith patience. This is just a brief review over the last 13 weeks, everything we've already covered. And when the storm passes, we will be more like His dear Son. Now, we're going to see the baton passed back into our hands to proactively do something with what we've learned through everything God worked in us, especially through those trials of patience. And as we're going to see today, it starts within the body of Christ first. That's why he says brotherly kindness, your brothers and sisters in Christ. It has to start there before working its way out to the rest of the world, which is what we'll cover in two weeks' time as we finish out this class, when he ends with saying, add to brotherly kindness. Anybody know? Charity. Charity. So point number one, to godliness, add... Charity. No. <laughs> brotherly kindness. So definitions, I get it. It's redundant. You guys can put it in your own words, but... We gotta, we gotta go with the uh, the standard because there might be something in here you didn't realize about brotherly kindness. But letter A, the Strong's definition, it's brotherly love. Anybody know what one word summarizes that? If you've been here on Wednesday nights, Philadelphia, as in the Philadelphian church during John's time, and surely would have been around Peter's time as well but also the Philadelphian church period, that period where they had the key of David that opened doors that no man could shut. And man, what a door of utterance did it open up for that church during 1500 and 1900 AD, where they took the word of God, they finally had the word of God, and they were able to take it to the ends of the earth. It means fraternal affection. In other words, it's as though someone who is not your blood relative, you're as close with them as though they actually were your sibling. Again, we're familiar with that. We know that. Now, the Webster's definition, because, you know, in a dictionary, there's no definitions of phrases. So what we're going to see here in Webster's is actually just the definition of kindness. But I added to the end the little bit about brotherliness that kind of ties it all in. But again, pay close attention to the words that are going to be, that we're going to read here. It means goodwill. It means benevolence. Now, check this out. It is that temper or disposition, that outlook, if you will, which delights in contributing to the happiness of others, which is exercised cheerfully in gratifying their wishes, supplying their wants, or alleviating their distresses as though they are your brother. Now again... You brought me up here cold, and I was like, and somebody asked me, what is brotherly kindness? And I'm sure I could do that with all of you. Every single one of us could probably put that into our own words. But man, I see a definition like that, and I'm like, yikes. And the outlook that delights in contributing to the happiness of others and, and, and granting their wishes, supplying their wants, alleviating their distresses as though they were my own flesh and blood. But they're not. That hits me. There are times where, you know, 
you know, I hate to do this, I, you know, but it's like, man, as soon as like the church starts growing and as new people come through the doors or even just during the Sunday morning greetings, there are times where I'll be like, hi, how are you? Oh, good, good, good. Hi, how are you? Oh, good, good. Hi, how are you? Good. Hi, how are you? Good. And I'm like, well, kind of the responses are like that, too, where no one actually says how they're doing. But you just kind of have, you did, you did. I appreciate that. You do, you have kind of like this rhetoric. You kind of have like this rehearsed speech where you're almost kind of like just going through the motions of a greeting and you don't really care what the other person has to say, per se. I don't know if anybody else is like that, but being honest, there are times where I'm like that during a greeting time. And instead of really hearing how is it they're actually doing, I was really hoping one of you guys would be like awful. And then I would just go, good. <laughs> but, but there are times where we're like that, where somebody will probably say something to you about how they're doing. And we'll just go, oh, praying for you. Now, here's hoping that we actually do take that extra step and pray for them if they're in need. But what about follow up? What about seeing, hey, is there anything that I can do to help you in this situation that you need prayer on? Going that extra mile to figure out how can we get you through this hurdle? That's brotherly kindness. So, found a video that I thought uh, really helps summarize this. It's a quick one, but I uh, hope you guys enjoy. slideshow F5. Thank you. How many times in our life are we like that? There's so many applications I could do with this video. I don't know how much time I got. How many times do we extend a helping hand to help somebody out, to alleviate their distresses, to supply their wants, to gratify their wishes, and they're like, I don't need your help. I don't want your help. And clearly that kid did. But then there's another way you can also look at this too. Maybe that big kid down at the bottom, he didn't really need help. And the little brother, like so many of us can do, we're like, no, no, you do need my help and I'm gonna be here until I help you out of this. When do you know when to stop? Well, that's where discernment comes into play. But I love it, I love the little kid's persistence. Especially that part where he said, I don't need your help. And he goes, yes, you do. <coughs> we need to all come to the part where we realize we need each other we need each other we need each other we understand this we don't understand this it's easy up here easy to say another thing to actually extend a hand out like yes please can you help me but maybe the reason why we don't want to say that is because there ain't nobody extending a hand down and say, hey, I can help you through this. Where do we stand as a youth ministry? Where do you stand personally as a member of the body in particular? These are things we have to consider, especially as we go into looking at brotherly kindness. When I thought about this, I, it, the phrase itself doesn't show up in these passages, but man, I love the way that the early church was in the book of Acts. These two chapters, chapters 2 and chapter 4, I mean, you got to think, the church is brand new at this point in history. Christ just died, just rose again, and was ascended up on high. The church just began. 
You could make an application to a church plant and a brand new church that is born out of that and all the struggles they go through as a new church. And because of the church plant, you can make applications to a brand new church that's left behind. And the new members that are here are what now comprises the church. So even though we're not brand new, the church is 22 years old, this definitely applies to us today. Here's what they were like. Look at verse 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common. What does it mean to have all things common? Carson. Things were shared. Things were shared. Like what? Um, I don't know if you had a house and there was an empty room. You'd give that to someone who needed a room. Perfect example. But what else? Do we not have a phrase that we utilize for each other? It's like, oh, you know what? Me and so-and-so, we got this in common. What does that imply? Heather? Similar interests. Similar interests. It implies that you know something about them. You know them and they know you. That's how you know that you have something in common with each other. But don't miss it. It says they have all things in common because what first happened? They were together. You're not going to get to know somebody, and therefore you're not going to see the similarities you have in common if you're not together. They needed to be together. Verse 44. Look at verse 45. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had needs. Because they were together and because they had things in common, they knew each other, now they were able to, as a group, minister to the needs of others. Verse 46. And they, continuing weekly? Oh, bi-weekly, so Sundays and Wednesdays. Continuing how often? Everyone all together now? Daily. Daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Now that they're together, and they have all things common, and they're meeting the needs of the people, now they have a single focus of what their goal and their mission is. Because they're together, because they know each other, because they're already meeting needs. Now they take what they're learning from that need-meeting mission and going forward with it. They have a vision and a clarity as to what God is expecting of them next. Verse 47, what's the result when a group ministers like that? Verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord did what? Added to the church. Sundays? Wednesdays? Oh, yearly because of church camp, and you always get more people from church camp, right? No. When they had this kind of camaraderie and fellowship, the Lord added to the early church, the beginning of the church, daily. Such as should be saved. Man, that was the result of them being single-focused, of them meeting needs within the group, within the church, of them having all things in common because they knew each other, of them being together. It starts there. When they did that, church grew. You know, I remember uh, early days of Solid, um, right when we were becoming a ministry, one of the things that we absolutely loved to do, it was kind of like hangouts, like you guys are talking about what you guys did, but man, we were like, I know we just saw each other for Sunday school. I know we sat with each other in main service, because that was also something we did. We all sat together in main service. We just, again, had that camaraderie and that bond that we loved being around each other so much. And just to look at each other like, oh, that was what Jay was saying in Sunday school. That Pastor Bob's talking about it. That's so cool. And we'd have that. But then afterwards, we were like, hey, we're all going to Bob Evans. Who wants to come? We go get lunch together after church. And man, just the fellowship of that where, because again, you couldn't talk too, too much during the service. Smaller church back then, Pastor Tom would have eventually heard it. But we'd be able to talk about what God was doing in Sunday school and how it applied to what we were going through this past week at school. And then how Pastor Tom would mention something in the main service that tied in with Sunday school. And you know what was funny? I just read that in my devotions this week. You did too? And there was just a bond and a fellowship there. Going to Bob Evans after church on Sundays just to talk about these things, to discuss and to pray for each other, to get to know each other. Turn over to chapter 4. 
man, things are going good. Chapter 1, you have the replacement of Judas, and so the disciples start going to their Jerusalem and ministering and preaching the gospel. Chapter 2, you have Peter finally stepping up as a leader, preaching this gospel to the Jews that rejected Christ there, and so many people believe and are saved. In chapter 3, you have, again, more camaraderie, more preaching, more witnessing. Things are going good. Then chapter 4 happens. They heal somebody, and it gets the government's attention. And they arrest them. They arrest them for their godliness. That's the context of what happens here. So after they warn them, they threaten them, they let them go, saying, you better not preach in Jesus' name again. They all get together and they fellowship. Look at verse 32. Can I get a reader? 32 to 37. Carson. And the, multitude, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Hmm. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and bought of the, bought and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Hmm. And, and jo, uh, Joseph, um, who by the apostles was named Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, hmm. a Levite in a, the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and bought the, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Again. The only difference, this passage is very similar to what we just saw in chapter 2. The only difference is this kind of fellowship was born out of the heartache and the persecution that they just experienced. But you know what kind of kickstarted this whole thing off? In between, you had the, the arrest and the trial and where they were threatened, don't preach anymore in the name of Christ. And then this giving of themselves. You know what smack dab right in the middle of this? They got together and they prayed. They prayed so intently. They prayed so fervently. You know what ended up happening in verse 31? It said the place was shaken because of their prayers. When was the last time your prayer shook somebody else? Had an effect, caused a disassociation of what you thought was solid ground. Ugh. Someone who maybe was lost and they come to realize their need for a Savior, whether it be through your preaching or through your invitation to church or through your invitation to camp, but it was because you first started by praying intently for them, and then they were shaken to their core, shaken to the foundations of what they believe to be true about salvation. We ought to make this place shake again with our prayers. we got to be praying together. we got to be together, and look what will come as a result. We'll have that single-mindedness, and we'll have all things common. Point number two. Why is this important? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's important because God doesn't want there to be any schism in the body. You guys know what the word schism means? It means a divide. It means a gap. In other words, there shouldn't be divisions within the youth ministry. There shouldn't be a division that creates a vision over here or a division over here and then a division over here, or a department over here, or a click over there. That's not what there should be. There also shouldn't be a gap. Hey, I'm all the way over here in my walk, but so-and-so, they're all the way over here and there's a gap between us. No, as we just saw, extend out a helping hand and pull them up. We'll see that here in a little bit. That actual phrase of extending a helping hand is tied with one single word, and I've already kind of mentioned it already today in the lesson, but you'll see it later on today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 20. Paul talking about the church, and he says, But now are they many members, yet but one body. Understand, there's different personalities in here. There's different likes, there's different dislikes. That's okay, because you know what we all have in common? We've all, if you've come to that point of decision where you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are a part of the bride and body of Christ. Even though somebody else in here 
may have something completely different likes than you do, that's okay. Because you know what you guys both like, hopefully? The Lord Jesus Christ, His Word, and doing what He says. That's what you have in common. They're one body. But now are they many members yet but one body? Verse 21. Don't miss this. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You know what you find with a human body? Every body and every part or member of a body has a different function that is different from the rest of the body, by and large. Every function of it, every part. Some of you in here have roles, have interests, have skills and gifts and talents that are different from other people. But you know what? Doesn't make you better than the other. And maybe you're looking at yourself like I often do myself sometimes, like I have no gifts. I have no talents. There is nothing. I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. I know I believe God's calling me into ministry. This is my thought process in high school. I believe God's calling me into ministry. But I'm also aware that that's not possible to happen at the age of 18 when I graduate, or even 22 when I graduate JBI if I start then. So what am I going to do to supply myself? And what am I going to do to supply for a family? I have no job likes. I have no strengths in a, in a trade or a field or anything like that. I was thinking that I was skillless, giftless. You might be in that camp too where you think that about yourself. But understand, you have a part. You have a role and it is absolutely vital to the success of this ministry and to this body collective of FBCJ. Don't let anyone sell yourself short, especially the voices that you hear in your own mind telling you that you're not good enough or you're not worth it or that you're giftless and skillless. The body needs each of its parts. Look at verse 22. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble. The ones who feel purposeless, the ones who don't have any gifts, so they think. What does he say about them? They are what? Necessary. Necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. Why? Verse 25, that there should be no schism, no division, no gap in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Would someone mind getting that door? Because we're about to have a repeat of Wednesday night in here if we don't get some kind of airflow. I'm about ready to just bust. Oh, wait, I can't. Can I? No, I can't. I'm about to put a brick through these windows. I'm just going to bring you up there for it. <laughs> no, that's going to be too weird, too distracting. <laughs> Why is it so important, what we just read? Goes back to the garden. What did Satan do in the garden? He attacked the creation of God. He attacked Adam and Eve, his creation, the loves, his He attacked them. And he went specifically to the bride of Adam. Again, a picture of the body of Christ. Satan went straight to her first to create a division and a gap between the husband and the wife. Between Adam and Eve. And then those two together to create a division between Adam and Eve and God. It's been his attack plan ever since the beginning to create division, to make there be a gap in the body. If he did it back then, do you not think he's going to want to do it today? Do you not think he's going to want to do it in this group, in this ministry? If he attacks, if he creates a division, if he creates a gap in our ranks, he's going to succeed in his mission. Why? Again, what did the early church do in the book of Acts? What was the ultimate end goal of them having all things in common, having brotherly kindness to each other? What did God then do with that thing that they had in common? What was the result? The church grew. If Satan can get a wedge and divide a wedge amongst us, 
we're not going to grow. We're going to stay the same. We're going to become stagnant. We're going to become sterile. We're not going to reproduce. And then eventually the ministry is just going to die out. Just read Genesis chapter 5 to find out the ultimate plan of what happened to Adam and Eve as a result of that. They died. So letter A, how do we do this? How do we implement brotherly kindness? What else does the Bible have to say about it? <coughs> letter A, in the spirit of godliness, we esteem, hold in high regard in other words, our brothers and sisters greater than ourselves. Turn over to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I have Romans 12.10 on the screen here. Paul says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with what? Brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. You know, again, maybe it's because of your home life. And, and again, this is where you have to be very, very careful. You have to use discernment because this can be good and bad. But I just know like for me growing up in the home that I grew up in with, you know, a, in a split home and a, and a parent who wasn't really liking me going to church at all, especially wasn't liking me uh, giving tithes and offering for the job that I just started as a sophomore um, and even just going to this, this church. Uh, you know, I had to learn independence at a young age. I had to learn to be able to look out for myself, not necessarily for the physical things, but just as far as life in general, and you know, just to having a division or a schism rather with my parents, I had to learn to take care of myself as far as becoming a man or as far as growing spiritually, emotionally, mentally. But you know, with that, there can come a... Satan can use it and make it a negative to the point where you become so dependent on yourself that you're only looking out for yourself and not the needs of others. And that's where there needs to be a balance. There needs to be a discernment. It's good to have an independence like that where you're teaching yourself and growing strong as you're walking with God for that. But be careful because it'll cause a selfishness and you'll find yourself not preferring one another. You'll just be preferring yourself. So be on guard with that. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 7. Can I get a reader for verses 7 through 11? Kendall. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be, to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. I love that. He gives a perfect gospel presentation for those first however many verses, what, four? And then he just hits the capstone in verse 11. Hey, if God so loved us this way, we ought to love somebody else this way. We ought to love one another this way. Hey, did God love you even when you were unlovable in your sin? Yeah, that's how you ought to love the people in this room. Hey, did God forgive you of every single sin you've ever committed? Even the ones this past week? And guess what? The ones you're going to commit this week too. Did He forgive you of that? Because He loves you? That's how you ought to love the people in this room. Not easy, is it? No, that's why we need Him. That's why, hopefully, as you add this to your faith, you have already been more like God because of this trial of patience you just went through to get your eyes off of yourself to begin with and onto Him as you keep maturing and growing in your faith. That's the whole process. That's why God ordered and structured it this way in His Word. I love it. It's just repeating what John already wrote in chapter in his Gospel in chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. Listen to this. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Why? What's the end goal? What's the purpose? He says in verse 34, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. 
disciples, if, if, if ye have loved one for another. What about if I go and share the gospel with somebody else? Or what about if I then share the gospel with them, they get saved, and then I disciple them? Isn't that how they're going to know I'm a disciple? Not according to what he just wrote there. You can do all those things and absolutely hate and despise the people in this room, and no one's going to know you're a disciple. And consequently, guess what? You're not going to lead anybody to the Lord, and you're not going to be able to win them in discipleship and guide them and mature them. Let it be. When you have brotherly kindness to others, you know what it does? It brings about unity within. Uh, Sam, stay in 1 John chapter 4. Everybody else turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians, that was a church, the church in Philippi. They had great love towards Paul. They gave over and above as an offering to Paul to help him out in his ministry and in his bonds. This was a good, solid church. Can I get a reader for verses 1 to 4? Somebody who hasn't gone yet. Ethan. Verses 1 through 4. Everybody pay attention. These verses are huge. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Hmm. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Let not every man on his own image, look not every man on his own Would you look at that? but every man also on the things of others. I absolutely love this passage. He's saying, hey, if you guys could do one thing for me, if there's only one thing that'll fulfill my joy, I just want you guys to be like-minded. I want you guys to all be passionate about the same thing, to have that singleness of heart that the early church had. To have that kind of a focus. He's like, fulfill ye my joy, be of one mind, of one accord. How do you do that? Don't do things out of the flesh. Don't do things for your own glory's sake. Talked about that with virtue. Remember? Doing things because we have to. Doing things to look good. To get ahead, maybe. To be perceived as a leader. That was an early callback. But in lowliness of mind, verse 3, let each esteem other better than themselves. This is what you have to do. Look not on every man of his own things, but every man also in the things of others. You know what this requires? This requires you to be a servant to others. That's what this requires. You want to lead? You want to be a leader? You got to serve. That's where we get the phrase, servant leader. And to go a step further, you know what he says in verse 5? Let this mind, the mind of a servant, let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Ah, Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the likeness of a servant. That's what it takes You know what a servant leader does? They don't go where they feel like they should be. They don't go and serve where they feel they would be best and most ideal. You know what a servant does? Hey, where's there a need in the church? Oh, three-year-olds? Yeah. You know what? All right, I'll go. You have a need here? I'll step up, I'll go. I remember... uh, Freshman of college. Uh, actually, no, junior year of college. As I'm about ready to start JBI, Stephen coming up to me, he's like, hey, you know, I think you would really love VBS. And I was like, uh, he goes, you know, I need somebody to help coordinate, write, and, and kind of, you know, do skits. And just even with your background in high school, doing speech and debate, stuff like that, I think you'd be a great asset to it. And I was like, Stephen, I... I'm helping your mom out on Wednesdays for the three-year-old's class because there was a need. Like, I, I'm not passionate about kids' ministry whatsoever. I really don't feel like I'm good with kids at all. Honestly, I was looking for a way to get out of there. Sure enough, seven years later, 
eventually taking over him and leading VBS, I never in a million years thought I would see myself doing anything in kids' ministry or even taking over for Wally. I had no passion and desire whatsoever for kids' ministry, ever. But there was a need. There was a need, and I cared so much about this church sticking together, and I didn't want there to be a schism or a gap or a division. And I didn't want somebody who was already serving to have to fill this role that I could have easily filled on a Wednesday nights for three-year-olds once per month. I didn't want anybody else to have to pull double duty and then them get worn out and burn out and then them eventually fall away because they were just doing so much. There are needs in this church if we are looking for them. And you know what? Honestly, had I not done my time in kids' ministry, probably be a lot harder, a lot harder doing this right now had I not already known many of you from the years that Heather and I were in kids' ministry with y'all. So you never know how God's going to take it, take you, and where He's going to take you with something that you feel you have no desire or heart for whatsoever. But if you have that mindset of, I'll go where there's a need, I'll go wherever, whenever, He'll use you mightily to help out and assist the body. Sam, can you read verses 20 and 21 of 1 John 4? If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Mark it down. If there's not unity within this youth ministry, there's something wrong with your relationship with God. If you do not have a love for your brothers and sisters in this room, if you, there's not a unity of a like-mindedness, of one accord, of one mind, something's wrong with your love with God. Because that's not His heartbeat. And if you're walking with Him, you should have that unless iniquity abounds and the love of many has waxed cold, grown cold. As Matthew 24 says, as we saw last Wednesday night. You know what Psalm 133.1 says? I love this. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's one of those few verses where there's an exclamation point in the Psalms. It means he's declaring it. How good it is for the brethren to dwell in unity. How sweet it is. Let her see. I get it. It's not natural in every instance, especially if you had a rough home life where your depiction of what love should be in the home and the family unit has been destroyed. I get it. I understand. It's not natural in every instance. And sometimes it does need to be taught to fill in your blank. But when it's taught, we must grow therein. When it's taught and received, I guess I should say. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a few pages to your right. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at me in verse 9. It says, But as touching what? Brotherly love. Ye need not that I write unto you, because Thessalonica, that was another good church. For ye yourselves are what? Taught of God to love one another. That's why you better be walking with God. If you're not walking with Him, you're not going to get taught by Him. If you're not getting taught by Him, you're not going to love your brother. You're not going to love the people in this room. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, it doesn't just end there, he says that ye increase more and more. As another callback, anybody know what the context of this chapter is? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye abstain from fornication. Our study on temperance that we did. So mark it down. Those who don't possess temperance, you're not going to be showing kindness to other people because you're going to be too focused on self and embracing your own selfishness. You need to walk with God in order to possess this. That's why he says in John 14 and 15, this is Christ speaking to his disciples before he sends them out. He says, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, that includes brotherly kindness, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So, 
how's your walk? How's your time with God? Especially in these summer months. It's funny. It, there's, you're either on one side or the other side of the coin. Summer can either be a great time of growth because you're like, all right, I got all this free time. School's not bogging me down. I don't have this work. I am going to get busted out on some studies. I'm going to have a book that I'm just reading through. And then I'm going to have a topic I'm studying through. And then I'm going to write out this book. And then I'm going to disciple over it. You can have a whole plethora of things on your hands to do with all this free time. Or the flip side of the coin is, I have all this free time. And then you just use it for selfishness. Got to be careful. Be careful with these summer months. Be careful with these summer days. He's going to teach you all things. What is it? Well, these things I command you, that ye love one another. Sometimes it's got to be taught by the Spirit of God. If you let Him, and if you are walking with Him, He will teach you. Because in letter D, there is no room for lukewarm, ingenuine, half-hearted brotherly kindness. I think this is the first line on a study sheet where I've ever had two sentences. Sorry, it's weird. Just not noticing that. We must be intentional and earnest to accomplish our mission. I love it. Check out these three verses here. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Has that happened to you? Have you purified yourself by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If so, you receive the truth, or in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. He would go on to say in chapter 4, verse 8, Above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. If you have a selfless love towards everyone in this room, it'll be a lot easier for you to forgive them, especially when they do you wrong. Because charity covers a multitude of sins. They might have said something about you behind your back. They might have done something about you. They might have spread something that was completely untrue. If you are walking of God and being taught of the Spirit, and you have a fervent brotherly kindness and love towards everyone in here, you'll be surprised how God will take that and just knock it out of your heart. And you won't hold a grudge towards them at all. Because charity will cover the multitude of sins. And he says in James 5.16, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, class, there was a word that showed up in all three of these verses and tied it all together. What's that word? <coughs> Fervently. Fervent. Do you know what it means? It means intentional. You have to be intentional with your love. Again, Going back to the intro, it can't be reactive. We have to be proactive. We have to be intentional with our kindness. It also means without ceasing. Now, you know what's interesting? We kind of dipped into this when we did the whole little knowledge thing where we turned this entire classroom into a workshop, remember? And I was kind of showing you guys through the Strong's Concordance how you can look things up. Some words in the Bible, when you look at a Strong's Concordance, it says that it came from another word... And if you click on that little Strong's number, it'll tell you what that definition of that word is. You know where the word fervent comes from? It comes from another word that means to extend a helping hand. To extend a hand of healing to somebody who needs it. Like that little boy was trying to help his big brother and extend a helping hand out to him. He was intentional, and boy, oh boy, did he do it without ceasing. Are you like that to the people in here, to the people in this church? Are you like that with your own siblings? Are you like that with your parents? Are you intentional or is it just reactive? Do you do it without ceasing? And do you do it to stretch forth a hand to help them and heal them in whatever rut they might have gotten themselves into? Because in letter E... This is something we have to follow after and continue. 
Hebrews 13 says, Let brotherly love continue. Where are we at? First Thessalonians, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll end here. Uh, the Hebrews passage would close out where it says, Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Hey, your situations may be different from somebody else in here. Maybe you come from a good home life and somebody else comes from a horrible home life in here. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews 13 and other places as well? That if one suffer, we all suffer. And as we just read in Hebrews 13, it's as though you are bound with them. You want to have a heart for people? Get to know them. Get the, what you have in common with them, which means you have to know them. But get together with them. Hear about their story so you know how to help them. So you know how to pray for them. As though you yourself are in bonds with them in whatever it is they're going through. As just one example. But 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Have pity on them. Be courteous. That means that you have sympathy and empathy on them. Sympathy is, you feel for the need that they have. You feel for the position of life that they find themselves in. Empathy is, you put yourself in their shoes. That's the difference between the two. If you want to be as though you are in bonds with them, as Hebrews 13.3 says, you need to really focus and put yourself, what would I do if I was in their shoes? If I was in their situation that they find themselves in? Are there any verses that come to mind that maybe I can extend towards them? And can I pray for them differently? Not just the old, oh, Lord, I pray for so-and-so. Oh, they're going through a rough time right now. I just pray you'd help them and pray you'd get them through this. and they'd, they'd see why you put them... No. See, when you get to know them and you have all things common after you've gotten together with them and you put yourself in their shoes as though bonded with them, you cannot pray for that person the same way again. Because you will have put yourself in their shoes. You have walked a mile in their shoes. You will have considered things from their perspective like, oh man, if I was in this rut, I don't think I'd want to be coming to church either. I don't think I'd want to be coming to youth group either. You know what? That means I'm going to take an extra effort and text them and call them regularly and reach out to them and try to encourage them to keep coming out. That's what pitiful and courteous means. Verse 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. Hey, now we're talking about something else differently. Somebody who does you wrong, somebody who backbited you, or somebody who did something that just completely destroyed a friendship. You know what? Don't render evil for evil with them. No, love them as brethren. Be pitiful and courteous. Why? Look at how verse 9 ends. Knowing that ye are thereunto called to bless them, that ye should inherit a blessing. Do you realize that if you don't love your enemy in this room as though they are your brother in this room, you are missing out on an incredible blessing that God has for you? Do you want that to happen? Isn't it reason enough to love them as brethren just because of that? Man. So follow after and continue in this love. Because letter F, if we fail here, we fail to finish well. As I already stated, we only got one more character trait after this. Charity. If we drop the ball here, I want to guide your eyes to the top of the page again. The headline verse for this entire series. He that lacketh these things <coughs> is what? And cannot see afar off. You want to have vision for where God's leading you? You want to know what God's going to do with this youth ministry? You want to know what God's going to do in your life? You better add this to your faith because if you drop the ball here, you're not going to finish well. You're not going to have the charity to take everything God's shown you through this and then go to the world with it with charity. Because John 17, 21, 
Jesus' prayer before he goes into the garden, he says that they, his disciples, all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Brotherly kindness, charity. But the verse doesn't end there. When they have this, when the disciples have this, that the world may believe. That word that there, it pretty much is saying, hey, the reason for them to have brotherly kindness is so that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. If we don't have brotherly kindness and love to each other, the world is not going to believe that we were sent from him with a message from him. We need to have brotherly kindness. Next week, we'll close out brotherly kindness. We look at an application and then we'll move on two more weeks for charity and we'll close out this series. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you very, very much that you had kindness on us and that you had pity on us. You were courteous to us as a brother. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here who maybe is struggling with somebody else, has a grudge with somebody else, needs to just get right and make things right with a friend. And maybe it's somebody that's even listening on the podcast is not even able to be here right now. God, I pray that you would stir in their hearts to make it right, that they would forgive them because, Lord, that charity, it covers a multitude of sins, just as your charity covered a multitude of sins for us. We love you, Father. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.